Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burnt Orange Nation. You can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burntorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton of visibility. Share this with your friends. Wherever you found it, you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn. We've all of the major podcast players. We're also on Spotify for those of you that like to have all of your audio in one place. Another thing I'd love to remind you of if you've ever dreamt of starting a podcast, our podcast host, Podiant, is offering all of our listeners a 14-day free trial of a premium membership and then 25% off your first three months of that same premium membership. All you got to do is go to podiant.co, sign up using the offer code LONGHORN. Now, Kyle and I really do love Podiant. I love the fact that like I don't have to worry about sending out RSS feeds and making sure stuff pings and making sure it gets out to all the different places. I just upload the audio, they handle the rest from it, and then I log in the next day and see how the numbers are doing. So it's actually really, really convenient, really easy to use. So again, if you'd like a a 14-day free trial and 25% off a premium membership for your first three months, all you got to do is go to podient, that's P-O-D-I-A-N-T dot C-O, sign up using the offer code LONGHORN. Well, my name is Gerald Goodrich. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by the Joe Budden of Texas Sports Podcast, Kyle. Carpenter Kyle, how are you, bud? Well, I am. Uh, I'm back in Texas from a weekend in the uh, D.C. area. I uh, I didn't get but one crab cake my whole time there, and uh, I think somehow that's that's a metaphor for uh, for Texas football. But uh, you know, it was uh, it was a nice trip, nice weekend. The the people and the city itself were were much better than the than the actual sports. Now, are you saying the the outcome of the sports or the people playing the sports? Because the people playing the sports turned out really well for them. Yeah, you know, I, I, I so I'll say this. Maybe it's me in D.C. Uh, I uh, I went to a loss uh, for the Longhorns, of course. I, I went to a Nationals game. Beautiful stadium, Middle Park. Never had a chance to go there. Uh, and I think uh, I left before it, it finished. I had to get to the airport, but I'm pretty sure they lost uh, that as well. So just uh, they were losing when I left. So um, maybe maybe I am actually the the harbinger of, of doom for sports that happen in the in the DMV. Maybe maybe we just don't go to out of state away games. Maybe that's. I I wasn't gonna say it or even even road away games. The uh, the last Texas rain delay, uh, and I don't want to jump too much into the preview, but there was a rain delay. If you saw the football game happened. <laughs> 
at a certain trip that was in your honor in uh, the greater uh, Fort Worth area um, where we sat under the uh, the overhangs at, at TCU uh, at Eamon Carter uh, in 2013. And that, uh, so I think that this is a podcast we just need to go ahead and make a hard and fast rule. We're not going to, we're only going to go to home games when we go. Well, I was at the Crabtree game. Oh, yikes. That, I was at that game. So I think that that feels like a fair decision for us not to go to road games anymore. Yeah, I think all right, you heard Unless it here. Let's just not do it. You heard it here that it has been decided. Now, granted, that rain delay was one of the best performances we've ever seen out of Case McCoy outside of uh, on uh, on Aggie Fields. So uh, maybe, maybe, you know what? That was a good rain delay. But uh, that was also in the state of Texas. So, you know, it's maybe it's just... Maybe it's just Lubbock, or I don't know. We'll, we'll, we digress. So if you're listening <laughs> to this podcast, you are very aware of why Kyle and I are avoiding this subject. Uh, the Texas Longhorns went to uh, the greater Baltimore, Maryland area, home of the uh, Baltimore Ravens. And um, in spite of the bluster, in spite of the hype, in spite of all the Kool-Aid that was drunk on this podcast as well, they came away looking pretty much like they did a year ago and lost 34 to 29. They jumped out to a lead um, in, the, in the third quarter, but were unable to hold off the Maryland uh, Terrapins late. It was uh, easy to con- to say it was a uh, uneven performance. Feels like the best way to describe it. So Texas. I don't know what to say, Kyle. Maybe, maybe you can, uh, maybe you can can figure out and <laughs> kind of summarize for our, our listeners what happened. Well, uh, here, okay. So there was a quote from Tom Herman uh, as he got into it, and he, he kind of said something along the lines of, "You know, we we didn't uh, we played well. You know, we really did some things well. We just didn't do it in the uh, in the first and." fourth quarters, um, which is, you know, as, as math experts out there will know, 50% of the football game. Um, and, and and playing well for about 500 uh, of the football game seems pretty apt for a Tom Herman program, which is 7-7 seven and seven in his time there, and, and pretty apt for um, for Texas, really, in the past decade. Um, you know, we, there were some great plays. There were some things that you could uh, if you squint or if you just caught a, a few highlights, you could you could actually say, you know what, um, those were improvements. That that was great. I'm glad to see that. Um, there was a there was a feeling of momentum. Basically, what happened is is the uh, the Terrapins came out uh, maybe buoyed by the kind of uh, rallying around uh, a fallen teammate and kind of just the the off field controversy. Sometimes when those things happen, uh, it has a cohesive effect and it makes the team really, you know, have an us against them mentality and came out like their helmet was their, their bonnet was full of hornets and, and just played, um, inspired football. Um, that's one narrative, but, but really what what happened is I think they just got up quick, um, and, and really looked like it was going to be a miserable game. They got up 24-7 to um, before the Longhorns kind of turned it on and uh, it went into halftime 24-22 to after a failed two-point conversion that would have tied it up to go in. Um, and I, I think there was a little bit of hope of, okay, we've weathered the punch. Now Texas is here. The momentum sits here, um, and this can be a good team. At least that's how it felt. It felt in the stadium. Um, I can keep recapping, but the, the the major theme after that is they came out in the third quarter and played fine. Um, 
okay, I would say. Uh, and then there was that massive rain delay that, that we referenced uh, at the top of the show. And um, I don't think Texas ever really looked like a, a top 25 team at any point after that. You could argue they didn't uh, at any real point during this game, but especially after, after that rain delay, they just didn't look like the better of the two teams uh, as they didn't in the opening few minutes and ultimately uh, went down uh, 34 to 29 for the second consecutive year to the Maryland Terrapins opening loss. Um, yeah. So that's, that's his, uh, that's as positive uh, a spin as I can put on it. And I know typically I'm the more optimistic of the two of us, Gerald, but uh, <laughs> what uh, you got anything nice to say? Cause I, I think you're not supposed to say anything all at all. If not, then let's just end the podcast. Let's just right. do it. We'll see you next week. guys. <laughs> we'll see you next week. No, um, I, I have very little positive to say about that. I think, um, there, there are some things that we can talk about, yeah, and um, we'll hit those. But, I mean, the story here is Texas now becomes the second team, the the one, second of two teams that Maryland has beat in consecutive years. Can you name the other team that Maryland has beat in consecutive years? Who I'm going to uh, – is it – give me a hint. Is it recent or is this uh... – Who's who's the only Big Ten team worse than Maryland? Rutgers? Is it Rutgers? Yes, it is oh. Rutgers University. Heck yes! You know that that's another great state school. That's you know the the uh, the shining at the vanguard of their state in both academics and athletics. Um, I, I that's a great great uh, like for like comparison for the state of UT right now. So so now with Maryland, Texas holds that commonality with Rutgers. The same way Kansas now makes Texas have common grounds of Ro- with Rhode Island and Southeast Missouri State as the only three teams that Kansas football has beat in the last three seasons. Uh, so <sighs> things are going well. Things are things are really going well. We're not going to be overly pessimistic, but there's a lot of bad to talk about. I mean, I, the the fact that. There was a point in the game where one player had 116 yards and three scores, and the Texas offense had 50. is is something to talk about. It's it is, you know, the defense settled in. We can look at the statistics, and if you isolate, you know, quarter one and, and look at the stats for the final three quarters, yeah, they gave up 3.58 yards per play outside of that first quarter, which again. That's a pretty impressive clip. That's about what they were doing a year ago. Uh, and if you isolate, you know, uh, you look at the second quarter, if you isolate that, Texas's offense production falls about a yard below where they were for the rest of the game. Uh, so it's just, it's weird to see how uneven this team is. And, and um, you know, there are reports that the second quarters where Tom Herman stepped in and started helping with the play calls like right. he said he would. Right. Uh, but. You can't let it get to that point in the first place. Yeah, I mean, you, you can zoom out from a macro level, right? This is a team, if you just look at the box score, they're almost identical, and they're both passing and rushing yards for the game. I think they're like three or four yards to the to Maryland's favor, but about 400 total yards. Um, really, the, the, the key thing, again, if you just zoom out, is three turnovers, right? Um, Texas forced zero. There was a Chris Boyd. You know, hit him, hit him too squarely in the numbers uh, interception, which it, admittedly he read and broke on perfectly. I was already rising in my seat to start, you know, uh, cheering on the the interception return that, that, that was coming, um, and he, uh, he he dropped that. Which the next play again, uh, you mentioned him, true freshman Deshaun Jones, who uh, I believe scored on his first three collegiate career touches against the Longhorns. So that's a 
good start for the kid. I could see why he was a little amped up, um, but then got a 65-yard pass on the ensuing play. So some of those, like, stemming the tide or just changing the momentum, you know, it's a huge deal when one of those things, and that's when people talk about the breaks, not getting the breaks, the ball not bouncing your way, whatever, whatever. Um, but, you know, the, this is not a game in which that turnover should have should have decided things or the three consecutive turnovers in the fourth quarter as Texas, you know, even after the rain delay, after the kind of uh, emotional roller coaster where they had to take a, a team that came out and really did seem to kind of wilter a little bit after the initial surge. And maybe it was the ridiculously hot uh, conditions that I didn't expect and sweat through. Um, admittedly, y'all, it was as hot as Texas there, and I did not see that coming. But um, it did seem like Texas kind of rose up as Maryland pulled back and retracted, but they, they just couldn't capitalize on that. They couldn't turn that into anything because they kept shooting themselves in the foot with two interceptions from now sophomore quarterback uh, Sam Ellinger and, and a fumble that may have been um, or not uh, by, by, by new, uh, new uh, incoming uh, player from Cal, Trey Watson. Um, so, I mean, you look at that, the turnover battle, 3-0, right? And, and, and all pretty sad things that, A, Texas didn't get any turnovers. B, Texas had a chance in the fourth quarter after everything that had gone wrong. They could have limped out and said, at least we got the W. Now the season starts. Let's get this thing for real. But they couldn't do that. They, um, they w- didn't have the kind of uh, whatever it is, the gumption, the the it factor, the the you know genesequa, the the uncoachables to to rise up and, and and battle through that and capitalize on what I'll say. Like you you pointed out, the defense really turned it around and I think played pretty well. Um, you know they had a safety, they had multiple three and outs and stops. They they um, bend but didn't break to give up only a field goal um, after the rain delay on on a long drive. Um, they really did everything that, that needed to happen and. And same old, same old. It was the it was the offense kind of giving the giving the game away, uh, or or not taking the chance that was put on a platter for them to uh, to carpe the DM. So uh, I don't know, Gerald. Is that what we're in for? Another another year of the same? I don't know if it's if that's exactly what we're in for. I am I'm encouraged by the way the defense ended the game. I'll say it like that. They were put in a really bad spot. And they held Maryland to a field goal. And then Texas turned the ball over. And then they forced Maryland to punt on three plays. And Texas turned the ball over. And then they held Maryland again to three plays and out. And Texas turned the ball. So, like, it's it's the same story but a different track. Where I think the defense is going to carry us. And if they can minimize some of the offensive onslaught that some teams are able to put out, I think if... If Ellinger can find a way to improve as a passer, I think this offense can be special because you saw after I'm going to be really honest with you, his the first like three possessions, I was ready to pack it in. I was like, this is the same Mm -hmm. offensive line. This is the same happy feet Sam Ellinger that we saw a year ago. And then the offensive line settled in, started playing well, gave him a decent pocket and he was able to deliver on a couple of them. Now, I will say I've pointed out. I don't know how you overthrow Devin Duvernay like that. The guy runs a the guy runs a ten five hundred, and you overthrow him by like five yards. Um, which shout outs to Devin for making early nominee for play of the year for this team sure. um, to to catch that pass. But like 
Ellinger's balls are so high. Like he he's sailing them. It's it's it is a ridiculous uh, thing. Like I don't know how you overthrow Colin Johnson. He's six six. I don't know how you overthrow a little Jordan Humphrey. He's six five. Like I don't know how you're yeah. overthrowing these guys. So um, again, he's he's had a clean pocket and he made some decent throws. And thankfully, Texas's receivers are talented enough to bail him out. But mm-hmm. I can only imagine. If there was a quarterback on campus, maybe that was able to make accurate throws when he has a, a clean pocket. I, I don't know. Is that guy around? You <laughs> uh, may not be for much longer if he doesn't see the field, uh, let's be honest. But I mean, yeah, I, I, you hope. I think what we watched this game looking for was a couple things, but but obviously from the quarterback spot, the, the one that is the marquee that everyone's everyone's looking at is you wanted to see, okay, another, another uh, year older, uh, an offseason in it, and kind of with the, the full vote of confidence from his coach, you know, those, those balls you were talking about that sailed a little, you know, do we see that this year where Elliger, as he's a little bit older, his balls drop uh, in there a little bit better, um, you know, without kind of that, that action where they sail and you, you need guys that giant going up and making plays. I mean, there's a couple things that they, kind of came to mind we, we talked about it before uh he likes to look over the middle he doesn't really if he doesn't trust himself he doesn't have the natural inclination but he doesn't look uh at the guys outside the numbers that's why you know colin johnson actually had better stats when michelle was throwing to him and then little jordan humphrey had better stats with with ellinger's quarterback because ellinger looks over the middle he likes the slot guys he likes the kind of settle in routes or or the seam route um you know the duvernay um touchdown was kind of over the middle and, and again yeah incredible catch there Really happy to see that guy making making the step up that we heard about in the offseason. Um, even even one of the the bigger catches that went to Little Jordan Humphrey was on a terrible decision and a bad throw, and it was just a great catch that um, Little Jordan Humphrey made to to not have an interception in I believe the second quarter um, when that happened. You know, so just putting some balls in some tough spots. Um, t- if it was anything other than kind of the obvious play, it was always a little bit you hold your breath. I just. I put in the notes, and it's a thing that I think about. Can 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 Ellinger read a defense? Like it, it seems like this is going to be problematic as we get against better coaches uh, coming in this season. Um, all of his best plays seem to come when he had you know he beat a blitz because he is a mobile quarterback and he can move a little in the pocket and settled in and basically got enough time and 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 had the the mismatch where he got one of his really talented receivers one on one. You know, Colin Johnson. Every time he's one on one, we've always said should be getting the ball, he should get targeted, and, and on two at least two, if not all three of his catches that was the case and he had one touchdown and another that put him on the you know yard and a half that Kyle Porter walked in for a two-yard touchdown you know but but that should be what you're doing that's that's not a like a oh my gosh revolutionary play you know like you said that the throw to uh DuVernay could have gone down as a really long incompletion had he not made an incredible catch and we'd be talking entirely different about this performance that we're kind of lukewarm on so I mean just does he have the ability to read to a fourth progression while sitting in the pocket and not you know getting happy feet and running if if he doesn't then we will quickly find out exactly how good Bouchelle or, or or one of the two hot freshmen including Cam Rising actually are because that's not the quarterback who will take the University of Texas to the next level and and I don't want to make this a bash Sam Ellinger podcast or a segment because there were again a lot of things that I really I liked that he progress that he progressed from a year ago. I think there were probably five or six spots that I put in my notes where a year ago Ellinger abandons the pocket and tries to make something happen where he stood in and he was able to. He stepped up in the pocket a couple of times and I honestly it I think he may have been overcoached a little bit on the not running thing. 
because it just felt like he may have been hesitant. And then you hear him he's in the post game. He said something about, you know, you're down, you're down five with less than a minute left and you need to drive and you don't pull the ball on third down. You don't pull the ball down and run. And that sounds like that's coaching, but if that's coaching, that's bad coaching. Um, and I'm not, he's not in this same weight class at all, but on fourth and five, Texas has a couple of quarterbacks that have pulled the ball down and run and made something happen in Colt McCoy and Vince Young. They both did it on numerous occasions when the comebacks were needed. So I think, and maybe, maybe Herman's right. Maybe he's overthinking it. Maybe there's been some overcoaching and, and that's not on him. If that's, if that is, if that's the situation, then that's on the coaching staff that they have taken this kid so far away from what made him great, what made him the number two dual threat quarterback in the country um, and kind of taken his legs away. Cause I would love to see him hold on to a couple of those zone reads that he left in the, the running backs belly. I would love to see a couple of those spots where, the defense has dropped seven guys and there are four down linemen. Nobody's spying you pick up six. Like that's fine. Maybe slide and get one of their, their linebackers ejected. I don't know. That may be a situation that can happen. Uh, so <laughs> now that I'm seeing it out loud, maybe, maybe it's over coaching on the quarterback spot. Maybe that's what it is where Ellinger has, you know, at least in the quarters where in two and three, he kind of, he went to what his coaches told him to do, and it didn't work out. I mean, I, th- I think, honestly, if you look at what happened in the second and third quarters, is, is it, it got more simple for everyone. I think that's what we talked about last year in the opener on the defensive side of the ball is that Orlando really tried to come in, and he is a, a very smart defensive genius, but tried to kind of overcoach, tried to come too big too fast, and it went back to the better guy, the more talent, line up and beat your man. And, and that's what the offense, I think, did in the second quarter. If that was you know, the reported transition to Herman calling the plays, then, then so be it. But, I mean, it seemed to work, and it seemed to make sense, and it seemed to be, hey, we have the better guys. And, and truly, in that stretch, when it seemed to simplify a little bit, that's when the offensive line looked pretty good, especially with their run blocking. You got the running game moving. You got, you know, the true freshman, Keontae Ingram, who, you know, I think his first two carries went for like a yard or a couple yards, and then his next four, I think he had four carries for like 35 yards and a touchdown, you know. Um that's talent right there is where you have a talent advantage when you have a guy that good and, and who cares if he's a freshman, keep feeding him, you know? Um, I, I think our line looked better, but I don't think this will be the best, uh, the best team that they see all year on the defensive side of the ball for sure. Uh, I think when they get to some of the Oklahoma's and the big 12, um, linebackers and, and defensive lines that, that, you know, are going to be talented, that's going to be a challenge, but I mean, it's a good first step. Uh, and, and it was a good, you know, probably 12 minutes worth between the, the second and third quarter of getting a run game going that 142 yards. And it wasn't all from the quarterback, um, which is, which is a great thing to see, but there's still some, some area where that can be improved. Um, you know, if you have your mobile quarterback, like you said, that should be a threat where you're running some of those zone reads with your athletic running back. I think um, Kyle Porter is still clearly the best blocking running back on the staff, which is why he sees the field as much as he does. Um, I hope that that becomes more and more of Trey Watson, and, and he's been advertised as a guy who can block a little bit. So, um, And I hope Keontae Ingram learns that part of the game as quick as possible because he needs to be a three-down back. Um, he has the talent, clearly. Uh, Daniel Young was a little bit of a disappointment. And I, I mean, maybe not even a little bit, maybe just an, an all-out disappointment um, for a guy who you and I both sat here and talked about, you know, good for him earning it. Um, earn it, you know. It, it, he's still an or listed on the depth chart for Tulsa, so go in and, and prove that it was a fluke and that, you know, you're better than that. So I, I think our offense has 
a lot of room for improvement, and I'm not going to sit right here and say that they are a doomed unit like like I did actually say at the beginning of this or at least pose the <laughs> question. Um, you know, this could still be an eight-win team, and I think if that happens, it will be because the defense executes as well as we think they can and, and like they did in the especially second half um, of that game. Um, and, and we don't see a huge drop-off from last year's unit. Uh, and then I think that the offense continues to make steps each game. Um, they're going to play better defenses than Maryland's, but that they at least do what they did and continue to improve on the things they did well and mitigate the things they didn't. Um, three turnovers is tough, but, um, you know, they only had three penalties. They were for 100 yards, which is which is a tough a tough thing to swallow. Um, and we'll talk about Gary Johnson briefly in a second. But uh, um, Maryland getting zero, uh, zero turnovers and zero penalties in the game is uh, is tough. Uh, as a team, as a coach, you can't really prepare for that. And even the one fumble that you caused, Maryland recovered. Um, so, I mean, it's uh, it's tough. It's tough to to account for those things. So um, nothing broke in the favor of Texas, but you're Texas. You shouldn't be in that position, and, and sometimes you may just have to go out and make your own luck. So you have to be better. I think I want to talk a little bit about the, the defense that you mentioned there improving week to week. Um, this will be the first game where Wheeler and Gary Johnson get to be on the field at the same time. So I think that will be a marked improvement for this defensive unit. Yeah. Um, that'll allow them to do a little bit more complex things on the defensive side, or at least more aggression from the defensive unit. And I think, um, Caden Stearns is as good as advertised. Yeah. I think there were flashes of brilliance from a lot of those guys in the backfield. Um, you know, uh, Brandon Jones. Absolutely. Like the guy, Anthony cook was out of spots in a couple of uh, out of position in a couple of spots, but I don't think he was expecting to play. So, <laughs> That is both good and bad. Uh, expect to play every every Saturday mm-hmm. uh, because Devonte Davis. They, I think they listed him as a as a possible for this week. Uh, he is a questionable. Excuse me, if we're using the NFL nomenclature. So Boyd will be back. Devonte Davis and Brandon Jones may or may not. This is a good week to sit those guys. If you need to, um, you can get BJ Foster, uh, some reps, you can get, uh, you know, Boyce some reps and you can, uh, you know, just get Anthony cook some more time in the saddle. So if those guys need to sit Tulsa's the week to do it. Uh, but there were some good things on the defense. And I think early on the, the, the front seven, like I said, was kind of getting manhandled by mm-hmm. the, by the bigger, the uh, offensive line, but once they settled in and I think played a little more loosely, like Tom Herman said, they're a little uptight. They squeezed the mouse too hard. Uh, they were able to, to, uh, to play a little bit better. So I think uh, that improvement was, was impressive quarter to quarter. Uh, yeah. I mean, Kaysom Hill is not a bad quarterback. He's a guy who's going to have a good big 10 career. Um, he's going to, he did some things that were pretty good, but, but that's, that's going to be one of the better lines to the opposite of, like I said, with the defense, that's going to be one of the better lines that Texas plays this season, returning all five starters two who I think barring anything crazy will absolutely be NFL players. Uh, next year we talked about in our preview. I mean, that's a really good line. So take that for what it is, but zero, zero sacks from the, from the interior, you know, you did get one from, uh, I believe it was Chris Boyd. Uh, had the only sack of the game coming in on the secondary blitz. I mean, where was that pressure? I, I wanted, to, and I think Hager, uh, I, I haven't heard, but he he was, um, I, I don't know if you could see it on the TV, but he was coming out um, every few plays and he'd go straight to the bench, not talk to anyone, kind of stretch out a little bit and then go back in. Um, and, and it was it was almost like he just, he didn't feel like he was right in there. He cramped up in the end zone as well and sat there for about five minutes. So 
um, you know, there, there may have been something going on there. Um, Devontae Davis just, just looked a bit out of sorts at various points through the game, even before the injury. Um, the, in the first quarter, you know, there was times when he got beat or someone else got beat, and he was the, the, the corner coming from the other side of the field. And I know you're not the fastest guy, but he would just kind of like half jog, look like he didn't even want to get in there to, to even attempt. Like, hey, you know, you're not going to track him down. Run after him. You know, who knows? You know, like we, we've seen we've seen some crazy things happen with guys – you know, dropping the football on the one yard. Go be there. Make a football play. That's your job. You know, that's that's what you're supposed to do. And and one guy who I was a little disappointed in was PJ Locke. I think he came around a little bit more, but in the beginning, and they they just kind of brutalized him in the first quarter. They really targeted him. Um, and, and you know, I, I'll be very curious to see what the depth are. Like you said, if there's people resting, if there's people getting extra extra reps against a, a Tulsa team that they should. Uh, should have the talent advantage all the way up on. Um, it'll be curious to see who, you know, the Kobe Boyces and, and the Chris Boyds and, and you know, kind of understood players who have a spot. Who else gets in there and makes their name? I think Brandon Jones is absolutely ready for his breakout season um, to be one of the dudes on the defense, and, and I'm really excited to watch him. But, you know, is Roach going to step up and show that he's the guy that we've been – he's worthy of all of our, our praise? And I think, yeah, having an established linebacking rotation and core will, will help all of them, all four of the guys that, that we see. And good, good on give, – give McCullough some praise. He did step up and play pretty good, and he, he, he was around the ball a lot. But, you know, Amenahu needs to get in that backfield. Like, Hager needs to do the things that we expect Hager to do. Um, so, I mean, like you said, there was positives to take. It was a good unit. Um, it was a good team performance, especially in the second half. But I think Tulsa will come out of there understanding what this defense can look like uh, in this season. Yeah, and, you know, this this would be an ideal game, like you said, to get some young guys some reps. I'm interested to see what Josh Thompson can do. I'm interested to see, you know, what some of these younger guys can do on a, um, on, on a, lo- a bit of a longer leash. And I think this, this defense – if they can figure out how to play more instinctive instinctually, I think is the word. Um, and, and again, be able to set an edge. Cause I think that was the biggest thing for me is the defense, the defensive ends early on uh, were unable to set an edge. They got, they either got blocked, blocked out or blocked in. They were never able to, mm-hmm. you know, win at the point of contact and hold that. Cause that's what those jet sweeps do is if you can hold at the point of contact and push the, if you can push that tackle back, half a yard at the at at the snap of the ball that plays blown up in the backfield so um i would love to see a guy like charles amena who has an nfl pedigree uh do some of that and, and make a splash now again this hopefully they can they can just do what you do when you play a team like tulsa on uh on saturday but i i didn't see at least anything early that make that gives me the indications that they will. One thing I do, I didn't say anything about him, and I promised myself that I would. One guy who just watching him in person looked um, light years ahead of, of where I expect him to be was Chris Nelson. When you said that about getting through and, and, and disrupting in the backfield, the only guy to do that all game was Chris Nelson. So I need to give him his props. I mean, it's a giant, giant, we'll say metaphorical size hole that Puna Ford left to fill, but uh, the the much bigger Chris Chris Nelson actually seemed to do that very, very well. Um, I mean, he was in instrumental in all of the kind of tackles for loss. Even if he wasn't the one making him, he was the one um, kind of a, uh, wreaking havoc in the backfield and readjusting plays. So so 
Um, good on good on Chris Chris Nelson. And, and the other thing I wanted to say, I texted my brother afterwards. He played um, under Coach Herman when he was an offensive, you know, I think I think he was an offensive coordinator or receivers coach at Texas State early on in his career. Um, but so I asked him, I was like, was Herman the coach who? Because my brother early in his career did a lot of jet sweeps. He was a four three guy, a slot receiver. So he kind of played that Jay Sean Joel Jones role. But that was the year before Herman got there. I was going to say that was ironic. Um, but he uh, that was Coach Matt Sackis, and I believe the offensive coordinator is now the line coach um, for the Vikings. So weird offensive stuff, but that was, you know, 2007 um, when when that happened. Uh, Clancy Barone was his name, the offensive coordinator. But that was 2007, um, and so I got to see that offense work really well, but at a D1AA level. That's when Texas State was still. Uh, and so I just didn't think that Matt Canada, I've watched his offense work in various places. I just I didn't think that motion offense really uh, would give Texas the types of problems it did. It seems like it seems like jet sweep should be a thing that fool you once and then you blow up the next time. I mean, it, it, it just doesn't seem like it should it should be something you can build an entire offense around in 2018. But maybe that's just me. And I will say, I think what happened, and this is something that I may have texted you, I may have put it in the uh, the group chat for the BON writers. There, I think it was just the distinct lack of communication in the in the secondary. I think there were a few times where they didn't communicate on, like there was a wheel route that was run and mm-hmm. they didn't make the right switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the long touchdown pass. Yep. Um, but that, that for me, somebody needs to step up on that defensive unit and be a vocal leader. Now, granted Wheeler was not playing in the first half and then Gary Johnson didn't play for most of that second quarter. Uh, so you have, you lose your probably two more vocal guys, PJ Locke is not that guy. I don't think, um, you know, and Devonte Davis was again in a, in some few bad spots. So I don't know. I think there, there was a lack of communication and maybe a lack of, of vocal leadership on the defensive side of the ball that led to a few of those, uh, those miscues, but hopefully with, you know, Wheeler and Johnson on the field at the same time, they can figure something out. But I think the horse is dead. <laughs> I think we've beaten it enough. Uh, so let's move on and talk about this weekend's matchup against the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. One hurricane, by the way. Tulsa Golden Hurricane. So this week, Tulsa uh, took on powerhouse Central Arkansas of the football championship subdivision and managed to eke out a come-from-behind win 38-27. to So Central Arkansas left... Uh, led, excuse me, at 27-24 with 11 minutes left in the game. Uh, so there may be a difference of quality of opponent as the Golden Hurricane comes to uh, comes to Austin to play. Kyle, uh, what um, what are you expecting on Saturday? I think about this game, and I think back to to last year um, when when Texas was coming off a similar um, kind of deflating loss to Maryland. Um, they got to play San Jose State in the second game, and we saw a lot of uh, Chris Warren the third actually, but saw a lot of of Texas um, players realizing and remembering what that they were fantastic players. You know, for for the first fifteen to uh, eighteen years of their lives that preceded that, they were really really bad. I think. I love Chris Boyd in one of the mic'd up segments. Was like, all oh, y'all were monsters on your peewee teams. You know, all these guys were um, were fantastic. You know, they they've been world beaters at some point in their life, and they just need to remember that. You know, that's that's a big part of this. And like I said, uh, with Orlando simplifying the defense last year, and I think Herman simplifying the offense at some point this year, it's it's when you get these guys to stop thinking 
and overthinking and just playing and being the better players and, and sometimes recalibrating against a team like this can help. Um, I expect against Tulsa to come out, and I don't think it's going to be an easy game, but I, I, I expect them to come out and look their best and come out and feel their best and come out and remember that feeling, that taste of win, have the home crowd, which I, I hope the fans will come out um, in support. I've had a couple angry texts of people like, hey, if, oh, season tickets if anyone wants them. I'm not going to support this. You know, I hope that's not the case. It's angry. You're upset with the loss. But I hope fans come out and, and watch this team because I really want this to be the recalibration game. I still think this can be a good season. I don't think all is lost, and maybe that's just me really drinking the Kool-Aid. Um, I, I make a nice snake oil salad. You just uh, you take it, you season it. It's delicious. Um, but, you know, <laughs> I... Uh, I still think this can be something, and I think this is the game maybe where you start to see that where it gets kind of righted the ship, and, and they figure out what this team is, what the strengths are, what they can do, and what they can't do, um, and that kind of bleeds into what is a very big game following it and, and, and then jumping right into the heart of Big 12. So I think Tulsa's not going to be a pushover, right. and, and maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll regret saying those words next Monday night at 9 o'clock or whenever we record uh, but they they put up nearly 500 yards. Mm-hmm. Like, even against air, that's tough. Um, their their quarterback, the skipper, Luke Skipper, uh, <laughs> is a dual threat guy. I mean, 196 yards through the air, only had nine incompletions, had a touchdown passing and a touchdown running. So they're not they're not a pushover. They got two running backs that went over you know 100 yards. So I think there are there are a lot of things that. If Texas, again, doesn't come out and decide we're going to be the better team, we are the better team, we've got more talent, we've got everything in this, and and they are able to um, to allow Tulsa to think they have a chance. The moment you let a team like Tulsa think they have a chance, they have a chance. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that that's what I want to see on Saturday, is you come out and your first drive, you go 75 yards and score, you know, Seven plays, 75 yards, score. Three and out, 75 yards, and a score. Like, that's yeah. that's what I want to see. Uh, that will – that will. It, I don't think it will put me at ease, but it will make me feel like at least they've addressed some of the issues uh, from a week ago. Now, granted, it's not going to be the level of talent that they saw at Maryland. It's not going to be the level of talent that they're going to see um, – at, you know, at against USC or against OU or TCU or Kansas State, these teams that they're going to have to take on in just four weeks. So um, it's it's going to be interesting, especially like we said, you know, with Devontae Davis and Brandon Jones possibly being out, uh, John Burt for sure confirmed out for Saturday. It's it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, I, we said it before the show. If if uh, if this is a really close win, I almost feel worse um, than than any other outcome. If they squeak one out, thirty one to twenty eight against Tulsa, um, I, I'm going to have a, a pit of anxiety in my stomach for for all the things that come. Um, I really think you know it, it is in some way good. We've praised Texas for this for having one of the toughest you know strength of schedules in the country year in year out. They play really good teams. I, I you know they the last time they opened the season or at all played an FCS team with Sam Houston State back in two thousand six or twelve years ago. And there's nothing scheduled on the horizon. This is this is what Texas is going to be. This is the schedule. The advantage of that is they should get you know a good Maryland team. They should get 
at least a Division One, you know, at level Tulsa team that, that shouldn't be bad, and that should leave them, you know, big game Tom Herman into a USC team at home that they get a you know a kind of wild three and zero start by by upsetting that team, and then and then you have one expectation of the season, but there's always that that darker narrative if you're a community fan that you know there's always the darkest timeline, um, and so uh, you know. I'm just praying that this doesn't go that route of the darkest timeline because the next games that come up with USC, with Kansas State, with with Oklahoma, I mean, it is it is a murderer's row TCU, uh, not to overlook our our, our friends in purple uh, TCU. It is a murderer's row coming up after this. So that's why I say this has to be the thing where the, no matter who it is, if you hold some guys, if they're a little bit hurt, they sit out. Whoever gets on the field and wears burnt orange, this is a statement game to say that that still means something. That you know, having a fifty-three and forty-nine record since twenty ten doesn't define what Texas is. It still means something to wear that orange with Texas on the chest, whichever name is on the back. So I'm really, really hoping that uh, that we all turn out. Uh, fans will come out, come early, be loud, wear orange, all that, and and the players will give them the performance uh, that warrants that. Um, so, so in in both ways, I, I mean, I'm excited for this Tulsa game. As as tough as it's going to be, and as much as I try to keep optimism down, I'm excited, hopeful, not uh, not even confident, but hopeful that uh, that Texas does those things that I, that I'm that I'm calling out for. And and they should if. They should, and this should be the game where Ellinger gets his swagger back, and this should be the game where one of the running backs establishes I'm the dude. Whether it's Watson, whether it's Ingram, they establish that they're the guy. Uh, this should be the game where Sam Ellinger realizes that just because little Jordan Humphreys is his best friend, which is true, they're roommates, they're besties, <laughs> um, Colin Johnson is also really good, and the guy on the other side of the field, whether it's Gerard Hurd, whether it's Devin Duvernay, is also really good at football. Yep. Uh, so this should be, or maybe Bouchelle gets in in the second quarter and he throws the ball to Colin Johnson. Everybody realizes, oh, that guy's good. Or maybe it's Cam Rising in the second half, whoever it may be. That would be, I think, my mark of success for this Saturday is getting to see Cam Rising or Casey Thompson play quarterback because that means that the game is well in hand. That, that to me, is the mark of, of a successful Saturday. It's getting to see one of the freshman quarterback get some live game action against other people. Yeah, I mean, it, it'll be interesting. The whole strategy and chess match about redshirts and everything aside, it'll be interesting to see us uh, get all of those young guys in and get them, like you said, live reps. And, and that's that's a win. That's what we come out of Saturday with as, as a win. But uh, the point, of, just to go back to it, guys, the season isn't over. The season is just beginning. This can still be a very good Texas football season. This can still be a seven uh, easily win win season and, and, and even an eight win season uh, for the for the Horns and who knows after that. So I, I'm not ready to write this team off. No, not at all. And and I'm going to say this and I'm going to knock on wood. I've got a little wooden cross next to my desk. <laughs> this feels like that weird year where Texas is completely outclassed by OU on the field and beats them. I'm just saying like I got that vibe. This is like Case McCoy against OU vibes like where Texas is not in the same weight class as OU yeah, yeah. and they find a way to beat them. So, <laughs> you know what, Kyle? I blame you. I'm starting to drink the Kool-Aid again. Uh, so quickly, we've got a couple of news items. Uh, we talked about Cole Hammer, who again, 
I think, best name in sports right now, Cole Hammer, a Longhorn freshman golfer, will compete in the U.S. World Amateur Team Championship uh, this week at Carton House Golf Club in Dublin, Ireland. That's just so stinking cool. Uh, so he is uh, going to represent the United States alongside USC's Justin Sue and California's Colin Morikawa. They're going to complete compete uh, September 5th through the 8th. Uh, and, you know, we are – this is a golf podcast. We've said it before. Uh, both <laughs> men's and women's golf teams are going to be ranked uh, 10 to start the season. They'll start here in just a few weeks. And then finally, Texas Volleyball, we have to talk about them. Uh, they fell to Wisconsin and Madison. That was uh, right after the Maryland game, actually, which really is annoying. Uh, <laughs> they fell 3-1 to Wisconsin on the road, so they will travel back to uh, to Austin to uh, start their first home game of the uh, of the season. It should be good to see them there. Now's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college sports: Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Well, I I, I didn't put this in the notes, but I, I did text this to you, and I have to quickly start with my bang the drum. I have banged the drum for Crystal Conti um, repeatedly uh, ad nauseum. And uh, thankfully, to, to tie it all together, uh, I had some friends uh, who were in Texas Cowboys with me in, in the Longhorn Band who had some club-level seats and got me up there after the rain delay. Um, and I happened to run into uh, our esteemed athletic director in the stairwell um, of the uh, of the club level up there um, and talked to him for just a little bit and, and told him what a great job we think he's doing. This was before, obviously, the, the loss, but he was just affable and, and open to, to listening. He didn't seem like he just wanted to get on with his life, even though some weird man uh you know sprinted over to him and and wide-eyed uh, met him in the uh in the stairwell so so just a, a mini half bang the drum for Crystal conti being as awesome in person as as i hoped um at least it wasn't the bathroom yeah well you know i followed him in there too but i figured i'd wait till the stairwell to actually talk to him no um but but yeah he he uh he's he's as good as is advertised but my real bang the drum um i i've said before i'm riding hard uh, this year and and will be in the future, continue. I think everyone should uh, make a point to support uh, the the WNBA um, and and just kind of women's sports in general. But the WNBA uh, playoffs are going on right now, and I don't know if you know this, but two former UT women's basketball players, uh, Ariel Atkins and Imani McGee Stafford, uh, are meeting in in what is the equivalent of they don't really seed them by Eastern or Western Conference, but the conference finals, if you will, what they call semifinals. Um, so one of the two will play in the uh, WNBA finals coming up uh, this week. Um, and so the number two seed Atlanta Dream is who McGee Stafford plays for. And then uh, the number three seed Washington Mystics is where Ariel Atkins, who was actually named to the all WNBA rookie team this year, has been plying her trade. Um, they have uh, 2-2 right now going into the deciding game five, which will be when this podcast airs uh, today or as recorded tomorrow, Tuesday, 9, uh, September 4th uh, at 7 p.m. Central. Um, so tune in for that. Root on, you know, some Longhorns. One of the two will make the WNBA Finals and look to be the third Texas women's basketball player to win a WNBA championship after Nikisha Henderson, who was on those uh, Houston Comets teams of the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, as well as Fran Harris in that 1997 uh, team as well. So, um, you know, uh, banging the drum for all of the Texas sports across the entire spectrum. We, we support our horns while they're here on campus and into their uh, life after 40 acres. So my bang the drum uh, is about Longhorns in the NFL. So uh, two big things happened this week for the Longhorns in the NFL. First of all, 
Gotta say it right. Puna uh, made the 53-man <laughs> roster for the Seattle Seahawks. We tried to tell you guys. We tried to tell y'all that Puna was going to be the man. Now, he's not starting by any means. He's not, you know, second second string. But you know what? A guy who was undrafted, didn't get invited to the combine. A guy who was overlooked based on his size. But he has the skill set. He lit up a bit in the uh, preseason and made the 53-man roster for a defense that's not too shabby. So it's good to see him. And then another guy who kind of is an underdog story from the University of Texas, Quandre Diggs, the guy who's ironically called Quandre the Giant, uh, signed a pretty big deal uh, with the Detroit Lions. So 5'9", Quentin Jammer's little brother, whatever you want to call him. Uh, he signed a $20 million deal to play defensive back for the Detroit Lions. He's been there his entire career, and he is uh, going to stay there. That's incredible. He's a guy who they've, uh, yeah, he definitely secured the bag uh, doing t- the weird Tom Herman dance. Uh, so uh, it's just good to see guys who work hard and have really you know, put their head down, put their nose to the grindstone. You know, Quandre Diggs was even o- overlooked in this offseason because, you know, they were really trying to figure out um, if they were going to be able to re-sign Golden Tate. That was the big thing for Detroit. And Quandre comes out of nowhere and signs a $20 million deal for three years. Like, that's incredible. Like, so just seeing these guys who have worked hard, who have been overlooked uh, and have been able to really make good the NFL, it's just, it's good to see those kind of stories on uh, when we may be a little a little down on what's currently happening on the 40 acres. It's good to see the guys that come out of the 40 acres uh, do well in the NFL. Big news for the little Longhorns. Uh, it just shows in, in Texas we measure by the size of your heart. <laughs> I don't know what else to say there. But that's <laughs> all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can good folks find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. At Kyle Carpenter, you can find the uh, back from the uh, from the I don't know dead grave wherever we were long summer vacation. The Texas pregamer over at Barking Carnival. We we printed our first edition this past week. Um, sometimes it's always a bit of levity in what can be um, a very serious and and sometimes sad and surreal football season. So go there for your. Not your X's and O's as much as your L's, O's, and L's. So, uh, Texas pregamer back at Barking Carnival. That was pretty incredible. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Thank you for all the fans that interacted with us on Saturday as we live tre- tweeted. We'll be doing that again. Shout outs to the guys who called me out on some of the things uh, that may have needed more explanation on the Twitter, but I really appreciate all the interaction there. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in again this week, and until next time, hook them. Hook them. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Just go to cars.com. It's magical.